lives. Well, let's open the Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to finish off chapter 2 and begin chapter 3. If you didn't get an outline, they're on the back table. It'll help you follow along. And uh, so it's two-sided. You'll see the 2 Timothy 2 is on the first side. We'll go over that first. And then when we get to 2 Timothy 3, about halfway through the message or partially into the message, then we'll take a look at that side and go over the entire chapter. So just quickly, uh, before we pray, quickly, uh, I want to say that it's important that we remember what was going on when this letter was written. You've heard me say when you take a text out of context, all you got left is a con. And what's so important is remembering that Paul is writing this from prison and Paul's life is, in his, is coming to an end. We don't know if it's weeks or months, but we definitely know that he never gets out of that cell. He comes out of that cell and he, loses, he literally gets decapitated for his faith. And at the same time, Christians are being persecuted like no other. Uh, they're being fed to animals, including lions. There's Christians being covered in pitch and set on fire. And so when he's writing this letter, encouraging them to make a stand for the Lord, it's in light of all the persecution. And I will say this, and I know there's special circumstances for people, and I get it. But guys, they were standing for the Lord when they could be fed to lions. We need to be standing for the Lord and not fearful of COVID or our governor or anything else. Can I get an amen to that? Now, if you have an underlying condition, stay home. If you feel sick, stay home. I get it. But guys, we're forsaking not to getting yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. If you're on the Second Timothy chapter 2 side, we looked last week at tools in the hands of the master. We looked at being a diligent worker. And then we began looking at being a sanctified vessel. And I'll just read the verses we had already covered. And we're going to pick up at verse 22. And verse 19, it says there, Nonetheless, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So here's how we see the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. He says, God knows who, those who are his. And then he says, and let everyone who names the name of, of Christ depart from iniquity. So God knows who are his and those who are his are called to depart from iniquity. Now we say this often, Christians aren't sinless, but we should sin less. And we cannot walk in open rebellion and be in fellowship with God at the same time. Let me say that one more time. If you're living in open rebellion, if there's a, a sin in your life that you're just throwing yourself into and you're not repentant about it, you can't do that and walk in, in fellowship with the Lord. So we need to be those who look at sin and depart from it. It says, but in, in the great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. So there are those vessels that are used mildly by the Lord and then those that, you know, melt in the day of adversity. Then it says there in verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for, this, for his master, prepared for every good work. So those who are walking away and turning away from sinful behavior, those who are you know, looking at iniquities for what they are, departing from them, they become gold and silver, used mildly by God. And those who do not are wood and clay. And then it says there, this is where we pick up from last week in verse 22. I touched on this briefly. And then it says, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 
So the first thing we see here is he says, flee youthful lust. And part of the problem, I think, is that we think we can hang out with the world and we think we can walk through you know, a muddy field and not come out covered in mud. And the reality is we need to run from those things we're tempted by. You know, can a man hold fire to his bosom and not be burned? And so if there's an area where you are tempted, if there's an area where you know that's a struggle for you, you should not see how close you can get to it and not fall off the cliff. You need to run in the other direction. And as believers, sin is not something we should tolerate. Sin is not something we should pursue. Now, again, we sin every day, but the difference is as born again believers, when we sin, we're convicted. Can I get an amen to that? Conviction is a sign of conversion. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, when you sin, you will be convicted. If there's been no conviction, if there's no conviction, there's been no conversion. And so when we're convicted, that's when, or when temptation comes, the word of God says he makes a way of escape. So how do you respond in times of temptation? You flee, you run from it. You don't remain in its presence. And then he says, but not only do you flee from lust, but you pursue righteousness. We don't just run from the sinful, but we run to the Lord. Does that make sense? We're running from that which will tempt us, those things that will draw us away from the Lord. By the way, does, does the enemy know what you're tempted by? And does he not tempt you with the things you're tempted by? And you've heard me say it repeatedly. I have things in my life, and, and it may be different than the things in your life, but the enemy knows what those things are. You know that God doesn't tempt us. Can I get an amen? And often we pray, God, take the temptations away. Well, here's the problem. God doesn't tempt you. Satan does. So here's what our prayer should be. Lord, when temptation comes, give me strength to take the way of escape. Can I get an amen? And every time you are tempted, it's not just a, an opportunity to fall. It's an opportunity to grow. Because when you resist the devil, what does he do? He flees from you. So when the temptation comes and you say no to the temptation, you actually come out the other side of that temptation, I believe, stronger in the Lord than before the temptation took place. Does that make sense? So quit, we don't just view temptation as a, a pit in front of us we can fall into. We need to recognize it as an opportunity for us to grow spiritually. And so we look at temptation in a different way. It's just Satan coming and trying to distract us, to draw us away. See, if Satan can't take you to heaven or to hell, excuse me, if he can't keep you out of heaven and take you to hell with him, he'll do everything he can to make you ineffective for the kingdom of God until you get to heaven. So as Christians, we need to know we fight a spiritual battle. And we need to run from those things that tempt us and run to the Lord. Notice that what it says there at the end of that verse, it says, toward, to pursue righteousness. That's right standing before God. Faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, faith is something that uh, recognizes that God is in control. The word there means assurance or belief. It's moral conviction. It's a reliance upon Christ. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We've talked about that word there is cowardice. And so when we have faith in Christ, we need not fear what the world, what man can do to us. Amen. And we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. Not only faith, but love. We know that word there is agape. It's a selfless love for God and his people. You know, when you're tempted, instead of feeding your flesh and chasing after that, go love on somebody else. Can I get an amen? One of the things I tell people all the time, you know how you're growing spiritually when you move from being a ministry to a minister. And we all need to be ministered to at times. Can I get an amen to that? 
But there comes a time when we need to recognize we're not just always an inlet. We need to be an outlet. You know, the dead sea is dead because it's all inlet and no outlet. And we do not grow spiritually if all we do is get fed and then we don't take what God's done in our life and evangelize our faith and make disciples and use the gifts God's given us. The people that grow the most are often the ones serving the most. Amen? And when we sit on the sidelines, we miss out on God's highest. He also says to pursue peace, quietness, and rest. Is our world at peace today? Is our country at peace? Everybody's mad and angry and bitter and whipped up. And you know, and, and you know what? You know what brings peace? The Prince of Peace. Amen? Peace is not the absence of war. It's not the absence of difficulty. It's right standing before Almighty God. And it's good to know that no matter what's whirling around us, that God is in control. And then it says, notice what it says there at the end of that, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. This is why we need to be in church. Sitting at home, if that's the only option we have, it's certainly better than not being here at all. It's certainly better to be able to join in worship from home. But it also can become so convenient that we just stop coming to church. So let me clue you in. You can't serve sitting at home. You can pray sitting at home. Can I get an amen to that? But you can't serve. And you miss out on fellowship. And you can't use the gifts God's given you. And again, if it's the only option or you're sick or whatever it may be, we're glad you're doing that. But that should not replace fellowship. Forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. Amen? And notice this, pursue love with people who are pursuing love. Pursue righteousness with others who are pursuing righteousness. You become like the people you hang out with. Amen? If you want to know the person you are, look at your friends. Look at, the, look at the people you spend time with. You will become like them. To cleansing not only what we flee from, but what we pursue and who we hang out with. I know the youth group's in here today, and your friends are a definition of the kind of person you're going to be. Nothing's changed. I mean, we, we call them different stuff. When I went to high school, we had the jocks, the socias, and the burnouts, right? And all the burnouts were burnouts. They just smoke weed. I would tell. I would absolutely tell on them. I would tell on them all the time. I'd be walking, because our high school, half of it was in the woods, and you'd have to go up through these stairs. It was in the, near the beach in Santa Cruz. And I'd go up, and I'd see all the burnouts burning one in there. And I'm like, I'm telling. And I would go to the, BP, the vice principal's office. Hey, Arnie, you got a bunch of burnouts down there smoking weed. You might want to go grab those guys. And the good news was I was bigger than all of them, so there's nothing they could do about it. But the reality is, but, but you, you become like the people you hang out with. You don't have guys hanging out with burnouts that aren't burnouts, amen? And people don't hang out with Christians who aren't Christians. And if they do hang out with believers long enough, they'll either get saved or they'll leave because they'll either be convicted and get right with God or they won't want any part of... You don't have to choose your friends. God will choose them for you. You just live out loud for the Lord and people that love the Lord will want to hang out with you and the world will typically flee from you. Can I get an amen to that? Now, we want to minister to the world but have no fellowship with them. Then it says in verse 23, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Don't spin your wheels debating on secondary non-essential issues. Now, again, as Christians, as iron sharpens iron, so man builds up the countenance of his friend. And so it is good for us to disciple each other and have sincere questions about the Lord and sit together and study the word of God together. All of that's wonderful. But often you have people who've got a, a position they've got they're set in their mind. They're not looking at all to grow spiritually or have a discussion. They just want to debate and they want to convince you that you're wrong. 
And the reality is, in the body of Christ, there's too much of that. And it's, a lot of times it's secondary issues, thirdary issues. You Calvary Chapel guys, you don't even wear ties. I don't think you guys are saved. You know, it's foolishness. Things are so, so, so beyond what's essential. And he's saying, look, we can spend our time debating secondary issues, or we can spend our time making disciples and evangelizing the lost. Can I get an amen? And that's the exhortation here in its context. Look, they could be fed to lions any day. They could be taken captive and thrown in prison alongside Paul and lose their lives. They don't have time to be debating secondary issues that are non-essentials. And again, two brothers who love each other and are seeking to grow spiritually, that's one thing. Somebody who just wants to debate to debate, I don't have time for that. Our time is limited. Our message is eternal. We must not let Satan distract us from the task that is at hand. And sadly, it is something that too many get caught up in. So then we move there to the final point. If you have your outline talking about a servant of the Lord, and we're going to see the heart behind the, the way that we you know, are used by God. It's not just that we're used by God. It's not just what we flee, what we pursue, but it's the heart that is behind it. So let's begin there. Look at, again, verse 24. And it says, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So the servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Now, if you were here for First Timothy chapter 3, it gives the qualifications for a pastor. This is a pastoral epistle, but here he's talking about anybody serving God. This should be their heart. It's not just what you run from, not what, just what you run to, but also what should be the heart that you have behind it. That word servant there is doulos. Uh, many of you have met my son-in-law, Kevin, my daughter, Ashley. He pastors a, a Calvary Chapel in, Col in uh, Broomfield, Colorado. And they started a coffee house on the camp, right on the campus of Colorado, University of Colorado. And, and they sell coffee and it's called Dulos Coffee. And so people say, what's Dulos? There's an opportunity to share Jesus. They have Christian music playing there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's one of the most godless campuses in the world and God's using it mightily. But a Dulos is a servant. It is a slave by choice. It was someone who's bound by love, not by law. It's someone who could have, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's someone who could have walked away, but chooses to serve God out of their own free will. And it signifies Timothy's role as a pastor and that he is to be someone who has a servant's heart. Someone who will not serve is someone who should not lead. Amen. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, as Joshua says every week, learn to be what? Servant, servant of all. Now, servants with a heart, doulos, it says they're not to quarrel. That's to strive or to war or dispute. Look, it's easy to get whipped up, especially on social media. Am I the only, can I get an amen to that? You see something and you just want to just zap them in Jesus' name. Amen? And here's the reality, guys. We want to win people, not arguments. Because you can win an argument and drive someone away. We want to we reach people in such a way that they feel like they can reach out to us. When, they're look, when they need prayer, when, when they are convicted, when there's a divine appointment and an opportunity. We don't want to win every argument and then be unapproachable. Amen? 
And we don't want to be quarrelsome. It says be gentle to all. Gentleness is seen as weakness by the world, but it's a mark of spiritual maturity and faithfulness by the Lord. The world thinks when you're gentle that you're soft and weak. And again, that's just not true. It's what God has called us to be. Again, the word gentle there is affable or mild. And it says to all. That means believers and unbelievers. You know, it takes work, but by the grace of God, I'm very, I feel like I'm a real, real close friends with all the people on my, that I work with. Uh, some I've had relationships going back for many, many years, and most of them are not saved. Most of you, I don't know if you guys know this, the way I met Doug Buzian, he was one of my coworkers. We sat in cubicles next to each other, and the first year he knew me, he thought I was out of my mind. He said, dude, that guy's got way too much caffeine and too on fire for God. He needs to relax. But here's the reality that when we have those opportunities to be around our coworkers, we want to be gentle, not just to people that we love, but gentle to everyone. Amen. And not just kind and gentle to the people that agree with what we believe, but kind and gentle to everyone else that we might have an opportunity for the gospel. Looking beyond where they are physically to their desperate needs spiritually. This is able to teach. Again, in 1 Timothy 3, he gives 15 qualifications for a pastor. 14 speak of character, one speaks of gifting. And too often we focus too much on the gifting and not enough on the character. Amen? First thing we should see is godly character. And so able to teach uh, with great emphasis that Paul placed on God's word, a pastor who is not able to teach is like a surgeon who can't use a scalpel. Amen? If he can't teach, he's not a pastor. Amen. And churches will go, we have, a, we have 11 pastors and one of them teaches and the other 11 just do stuff. Uh, that's not biblical. So they need to be able to teach. It says patient of, of all ills and wrongs. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. God's work often takes time. We must learn to trust in God's perfect timing. God is not in a hurry and wants us to learn how to patiently trust in him. We get upset if we pray for something for three weeks and it hasn't happened. And we want, we, want, we want patience right now. You know, we want God to move right now. And when he doesn't, so here's a sign of somebody who's growing spiritually. We trust God even when he says no. Can I get an amen to that? You pray and God says no. And we don't get mad at God. We trust God. Does God know what's best for you? What's the answer? Does he love you more than you will ever understand? What's the answer? So knowing all of that, when he says no, can you trust that it's what's best for you? And so we need to learn to trust God. And when he says no, praise him. You know, praise the Lord, I didn't get that promotion. Maybe that was going to distract me and take me my eyes off of the Lord. You know, maybe that, that, that new house I was going to buy was going to become golden handcuffs and enslave me. Maybe God's sparing me because he knows what's best for me. Then it says there in verse 28, excuse me, in verse 25, it says, in humility, correcting those in opposition. Pastors are called to correct false teaching, rebellious, divisive. And, and you know what? When people are divisive, when people are living in open rebellion against God, it's not the thing pastors love to do. It's what pastors are called to do. Amen. Amen. How many of you would love to have to sit across from people you love and, and confront them? It's not fun, but we're called to do it. And if you love people, you'll do it. And the pastors who won't do it, don't love their people. Amen. Those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. My dad loved me and my dad disciplined me. And, you know, I lived in the days of belts, swats, and boards. Can I get an amen? And guess what? I didn't get as many swats as I deserved. Can I get an amen to that? I, but you know what? 
praise God that my dad loved me enough to discipline me. And he's saying of a pastor who loves his sheep, if a sheep wanders off, he's going to go, they would break their legs and put them on their neck and walk with them all the way back so that he would still be near to him, but he'd be fully reliant upon him. And so there needs to be, a pastor is called, and so are we as believers. If you have someone close to you, that's living outside of God's will and you know about it, you need to love them enough to reach out to them. Matthew 18, don't tell the world, don't publicize it. Just go to that person in love and and confront them in love and, and, and say, bro, what's going on? You know, sister, what's going on? And do it in a loving and a kind and a gracious way. And it says why, because it says there, it says correcting those, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they might know the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. See, when people are in rebellion against God, they're in the snare of the devil. He's got his hands on them. He wants to destroy them. And when we love them enough to tell them the truth and to bring divine uh, discipline, if necessary, it's so that they may be snatched away from the snares of the devil and the long-term consequences that are far worse than having someone who loves them come sit across from them and tell them the truth. Can I get an amen to that? And see, we, we're, we, you know, we have churches that are so petrified. and they, I don't want to offend somebody. They might leave. I'll tell you what. I'd rather offend you with the truth and let you know that I love you than have you think it's okay to continue to live the way you're living outside of God's will. Amen. And you know what? And that doesn't just go this way. That goes this way. If you see me or one of our pastors, you know, confront us in Jesus' name. Amen? Matthew 18, you do it one-on-one. You don't, you don't run around and put it on a prayer chain. Oh, just pray for this brother and use it as a gossip opportunity. Right? But we need to love each other enough to confront each other when we're in sin. They've been taken captive by him to do his will. You know, Satan wants to destroy you. And he's, he, you know, he has taken those that are lost captive and he wants to take Christians and render us ineffective. And I'll tell you what, Paul's writing this to Timothy and we're about to start chapter three. But what's interesting is that I think pastors need to be the most on, we all need to be on guard to this, but pastors especially, because when a pastor falls, even if they were in ministry for 40 years, what's the only thing you remember about them? The fall, that's it. I have pastors I know that I loved and admired. A lot of them fell, fell for sexual sin, some for finances, some for their behavior, whatever it is. And now the sad part is they four decades ministering to tens of thousands and then he commits adultery. And all you think of when you hear that person's name, that guy's an adulterer. That guy's, an, that guy's a, that guy ripped off the church for money. And so when that happens, so that's why it's important, guys. We represent Jesus to everybody we know. Can I get an Amen. And you might be the only Jesus some people ever see, that the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And as a Christian, you know, in the workplace, everybody knows I'm saved. And so I want to represent the Lord well with my boss, with my coworkers, with my customers, do everything as unto the Lord. I'm not always successful. And if I fail, I want to be the quick one to repent and to ask for forgiveness. Can I get an amen? So he's saying here, this is what he's called to do as a pastor. Now, chapter three, grab your outline, flip it over. We're not going to go through the whole chapter. We're only going to go through the first five verses and you'll see why. But uh, over the next couple of weeks, I titled chapter three, Perilous Times and Precious Truth. It's our turn to be the ones who stand for the truth in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation. So he's writing this to Timothy in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation, surrounded by sexual immorality and idolatry, surrounded by those who would persecute and hate Christians, 
those who are feeding them to lions, an ungodly leader in Nero. So all that's taking place. And he writes, you know, this chapter is in, those, in that light. First, we're going to see signs of perilous times. Uh, we're going to see flawed character of many of those who would call themselves Christians. This is going to be a gut check for everybody here today. Because we can call ourselves Christians, but by your fruit, they shall know you. Amen? Not saying we're sinless, but we should sin less. But we're going to see this list, and we're going to see it even more next week about the false teachers. So signs of perilous time, flawed character of many of those who would call themselves Christians. Next week, we'll see false teachers and imitators leading people away from the truth. And then from perilous times, we're going to see precious truth. The man of God and the word of God. How to remain faithful. How do we remain faithful when no one else is? When it seems like no one else is. How do we remain faithful in a world that is getting further and further away from God? How do we do that? Number one, keep a heavenly perspective in the face of persecution from the world. You know, it says in the Bible, Jesus said it, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my sake. You're blessed when someone persecutes you because you're a Christian. It also says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but fear him who is able to destroy the soul and body in hell. We don't fear men, we fear God. Amen? And then finally, we'll see next week, Lord willing, remain steadfast in the word. So let's pick up there. Signs of perilous times. We're only going to look at the first five verses. Flawed character of many of those who would call themselves Christians. And we're going to see that he really is addressing Christians or people, at least they're saying they're Christians. They're not necessarily Christians, but people that are saying that they are. And during this time, many of them are running away from the church. Why? Because they Again, if we said coming to church next week may result in you being fed to lions, we might have a few more people on live stream. Can I get an amen? And so that's kind of what's happening. And it's a, it's a dangerous time to be a Christian. And right now we could say, at least in America, we've, we don't know persecution. We have no idea what it is even now, but compared to the world. But for us, it's the first time you have, people actually think, should I go to church? And I want to encourage you, I, I was thanked several times this morning for having church. Uh, that's what God's commanded us to do, and we're going to keep doing it forever. Can I get an amen? Until we get to heaven. So look at there at the beginning of verse 1. Heavy list coming. We're going to see 18 characteristics that reflect someone who is not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So even Christians can fall into these. But if this describes your life, it's a sign that you're in rebellion against God. Now, again, we may have moments, we may fall into some of these, and then we repent. We come before the Lord broken, and we say, Lord, please forgive me. We don't make excuses for it. We don't continue to walk in it. We don't make it a pattern for our life. And many who call themselves Christians, these are attributes that we see in the world, but should not be things that are lived out by Christians. And again, we, we all fall into some of these at times, but these are things we should repent from. But know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Now, last days here, if you go back and, and you look in Hebrews, Hebrews 1 says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So in this context, the last days started with the ministry of Jesus. So it went from the, you know, the old covenant to the church age. And so the last days have been, Hebrews 2 right here says, has in these last days. So when Hebrews was written, they were already in the last days. 
I believe Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul. We'll be getting in that soon. So, these are, so those are the last days. But guess what? It's been 2,000 years since the last days began. We're closer to the end. Can I get an amen? And in these last days, there's an emphasis in these days today that people will become more and more like this as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ. The last days, again, before he takes time to call us home. And again, it refers to the time of Jesus on earth, but also can refer to the time as we close in on the, on the return of Christ. What else needs to happen for the church to be raptured? What's the answer? Nothing. Some of you may disagree with me, and that's okay. But I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pre-trib, pre-millennial, which means I believe God snatches us away before the tribulation begins. And because I do not believe that God will pour out wrath on his children. But it says the last days are perilous times. And during the great tribulation, we will be with the Lord for seven years. Then we will return with him and rule and reign with him on the earth for a thousand years. So perilous times will come. The word perilous there means difficult, dangerous, harsh, fierce, troublesome, savage. These fierce times, times of godlessness, spiritual dryness, false teachers, and persecution. I never thought I would have in, in my t- lifetime, but I, I should have imagined it, that the church would be singled out and they would let strip clubs be open and not churches. That they would allow other things to be open and not churches. And, and if you didn't see it on Thursday, praise God for the Supreme Court. Can I get an amen? But guys, we're not meeting because the Supreme Court said so. We're meeting because God commands us to. Can I get an amen to that? So perilous times is going to be fierce opposition. Like the time of judges, it says everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. Are you shocked when you hear people mention God at all on TV? What's the answer? You're shocked. You're surprised when someone mentions Jesus. You're blown away. Guys, that should be the rule, not the exception. Amen? And it shows how far away we've gotten from the Lord. It says in 2 Peter, knowing this, that, this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? They've been promising he was going to come for 2,000 years. And when they say that to me, I said, guess what? That means we're 2,000 years closer and you better get ready. Can I get an amen? The word perilous there in the classical Greek means both of dangerous wild animals, the raging sea, but also of the demonic. So in the last days, we're going to see, you know, we battle not with flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. And, the, and, and, you know, it is a spiritual battle that we face. Now, I don't see a demon under every rock because I don't believe they're there. And sometimes it's just plain stinking me. Can I get an amen to that? The devil made me do it. Devil can't make you do anything. He can only tempt you. And God is greater. And we don't need to pray for the demon of chocolate to get off of you. Can I get an amen? I've had people come to me. I have the demon of chocolate. Oh, just stop it. You like chocolate. Get over yourself. Demons are are not, there's not endless number of of the demonic. When they come after you, they're not going to bribe you with, you know, uh, seized candy. Can I get an amen? They're going to try to draw you away. The only time we see this word used in the New Testament is when the Gadarenes with the demons were cast into the pigs. And so perilous times, we're living in perilous times. And again, 
Praise God that in the perilous times, not war, not famine, not disease, nor any other calamities or ills that may befall the body, but the wicked and deprived ways of men is what is taking place in these perilous times. And wicked men will fall away. And those, those, these things have been recurring since the time of Jesus and shall culminate just prior to Jesus Christ coming back. So now he's going to describe some of the things that will be happening in these perilous times. And there's 18 different characteristics. That's why we're only going to we're going to just camp out on these five verses, describing not just the world, but even among those who profess Christ, some of them even being nurtured by the church. And this list, though ugly, will look awfully familiar as it presents a very clear picture of what's happening in the world today. One of the several reasons why I believe we're in the last days, you can look back and see some of these in the history of the church, but I don't think you could ever find a period in which all these are manifested the way they are right now. I believe that this is more a representation of the world than it's ever been. I believe only will grow worse as the day approaches. So let's look at the characteristics of the perilous last days and things that we as Christians should be warned of. It says, for men will be lovers of themselves. The word of the year in 2017 was selfie. And, I, and, and for every picture people take of themselves, they take 10 pictures of themselves for every picture they take of somebody else. My family don't do selfies, we do ussies. That means we only take pictures when it's a family's in it or something, right? But the love of self is the basic sin from which all others flow. Why are we prideful? Because we love ourselves. Why do we boast? Because we love ourselves. Why are we selfish? Because we love ourselves. Why do we despise? Because we love ourselves. Why do we not serve? Because we love ourselves. And so men will be lovers of themselves. The moment a man or woman makes his own will, the center of life, divine and human relationships are destroyed and obedience to God and charity to men becomes impossible. We have shows called American Idol. I want to be an idol. That's exactly what you're trying to become. Can I get an amen? We're, we're to destroy idols. We don't worship idols. Amen. I want to be famous. I want everyone to know my name. I want, to be, I, want, I want myself lifted up. Well, someone else talked like that in heaven. What was his name? Lucifer. Lucifer became Satan. I will be like the most high. I will be, you know, I, I, I. I is a word that should be less and less frequent in our language. Amen? And again, I've used this a hundred times, but we got some new folks. I'm, and I have proof that you're all self-centered, just like me to some degree. If I took a picture of the room... I promise you, when you get the directory, new directory comes out, I hand it to you. Whose picture are you going to look for first? <laughs> Come on, tell the truth. Where am I? And if it's a bad picture, oh, no, we need a retake. You're not handing these out, are you? And if you look good and everybody else looks goofy, you're going to be like, shoot, we should make that, that picture should be on the front of the church uh, website, you know. And the problem is that we are lovers of ourselves, and I am always on my mind. How about you? And we're worried about what other people think about us, but the reality is nobody else is really thinking about you because they're all thinking about themselves. <laughs> Can I get an amen to that? And they think about everything in light of how it impacts them. My three favorite people, me, myself, and I, that's part of the problem. People are, are told to love themselves unconditionally and that self-love is the foundation of a healthy human personality. That is the biggest bunch of nonsense I've ever heard in my life. I was sharing at a Christian college. This was 
probably 2005, 2006. Room full of kids asked me to come to chapel. And I taught on the text, deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. And I was teaching through the chapter. And I said, we live in a world today where it says esteem self. And the Bible says, deny self. And when I said that, two thirds of the people in the room got up and walked out. And I found out that a lot of them were psychology majors and they had been taught you know, the Bible says to love the Lord your God with our heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So you must love yourself first so you can love others. So we have to be involved with self-love before we can love God and other people. Uh, no, that's so out of context. God knows you already love yourself too much. <laughs> Amen? It's not low self-esteem. We esteem ourselves too much. People say, well, I have low self-esteem. I hate myself. Well, if you really hate it, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I hate myself and I'm ugly. Well, if you hated yourself, you'd be glad you were ugly. Can I get an amen? You don't hate yourself. You want pity. You want people to think about you. And, and guys, we don't need to self-esteem. We need to esteem him. We need to lift up his name. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You won't be worried about what other people think about you. Amen. You won't be worried about how you appear before men, but how God sees you in his eyes. Let me remind you how valuable you are. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He who knows you best loves you most. He went to the cross of Calvary and suffered as if he lived your life so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. We serve a great and awesome God. We don't need to esteem self. We need to die to self and esteem him. Can I get an amen? So Lord, help us. But we live in a time today, well, you know, that poor self, your poor self-esteem. This is why we're giving stickers to everybody and nobody gets punished. Can I get an amen? And we live in a world today where everybody just feels uh, taken out. We're all victims. No, we're all sinners is what we are. We all deserve hellfire. And praise God for his grace. Again, the scripture has been taken away. I, I was talking to somebody recently that people in the church are going through a tough time. So they sent them to secular counselors and paid for it. We'll never do that because walk not in the council. Now look, there can be counselors who love Jesus and use the Bible and praise God for that. Can I get an amen? But this is our, Jesus is the mighty counselor. Amen. And the word of God is truth. And someone who doesn't know God cannot counsel someone who does. They need our counsel, not the other way around. Amen. Someone who's spiritually dead cannot speak to someone who's alive. And so we live in a time right now, well, we need more self-esteem. The Bible, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Again, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. In the context, he already knows you love yourself. And he said, we need to love others the way you love yourself. So self-love, self-focus will keep me from loving God and giving the Lord the throne. When you love yourself, you don't deny yourself. The self-esteem gospel is rampant in the churches, in Christian colleges. I was listening to a famous TV pastor some years ago. I was at my brother-in-law's house uh, visiting him in San Diego. This was probably 20 years ago. I'm flipping through the channels, and this is a guy that I know. I, I, I don't think he's saved. And he says, we're going to talk about the seven S's to salvation today. And I, I, I stop. I said, okay, I'm ready. Let's, let me hear this. I didn't think this guy believed in salvation. So I'm thinking seven S's, sin, separation, sanctification. Uh, sal I'm going down the list going, okay, this should be good. His first S was, first S was self-esteem. And he said, when I see the cross, I just think of a big plus symbol. So I think positive thoughts. And this was seven in the morning on a Sunday and I was yelling at the TV 
and woke everybody up. What? You know, I, oh, oh, Lord, help. You know, strike him down. I mean, it was just out of control. This guy's a false prophet. The cross is not a plus symbol. And it's not about esteeming yourself. Amen? Lord, help. Ah. Oh. It's not the true gospel. It's not based on the word of God. It's based on modern psychology. And again, let me say what the Bible says about self. Romans 12, 3. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt with each one a measurable measure of faith. We're not to think of ourselves more highly. We're to be focused on the Lord. And we can all fall into the trap of becoming arrogant. Jesus said, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. The world says esteem self. The Bible says deny self. And the problem isn't that we don't love ourselves enough, but that we love ourselves way too much. Amen? If I didn't love, you're in love with yourself when you're offended because some, you know people are committing suicide because they don't get enough likes on Facebook? People put up a picture. They don't get enough likes. I saw two different stories happen a month apart. Two people in their 20s killed themselves because they put up something and didn't get enough likes. Because they're so worried about being loved by the world instead of recognizing how much they are loved by God. And guys, remember that. Don't worry about what the world thinks. Again, result is an unwillingness to sacrifice on behalf of others because I'm so focused on myself. We're raising a generation of self-absorbed people, desire to become famous, remember my name, go out and make a name for yourselves, blogs all about yourself. Here, I'm sending you a link so you can go to my page and read more about me, and then you'll see pictures of me, and then I'll send you other things of me. I'll show you what I had for breakfast this morning, and I'll show you the three different ways I've colored my hair, and then I'm going to send you five more pictures of me because you're all worried about me, and you're all thinking about me because I know you are, and then no. In my generation, we had to go down and develop the, the film and then go to school and hand out a picture to everybody of what we had for breakfast. Never happened. Can I get an amen? We didn't do that. And now we live in a generation. It's all about me. It's all about me. Barclay said this, the essence of Christianity is not the enthronement, but the obliteration of self. We don't hate ourselves. We just don't think of ourselves. See, denying self doesn't mean thinking bad of yourself. It just means you don't think of yourself at all. Take me out of the equation, put God and, and others in the equation, and guess what happens? That's when ministry happens, amen? amen? Then you're willing to be inconvenienced because it's not about you. You're willing to take what God's given to you and give it to other people because it's not about your comfort. It's about God's glory. And, but in the last days, we'll be so in love with ourselves, we'll be so caught up in ourselves that we won't have time to minister to others. Many churches today, by tickling ears, telling men what they want to hear, telling people how amazing that they are, we shouldn't be making a name for ourselves, but bringing glory and honor to the name of the Lord. Amen? May they remember Jesus and forget about every one of us. Amen? Just remember his name. Lovers of themselves. Self is sinful, wicked, and lost, in desperate need of salvation. I get sick and tired. You know, there's things that bother all of us. One of my biggest pet peeves is, is somebody does something and then they just beat their chest and want to you know, boast. And we'll talk more about that later. Guys, it's not about you. It's never been about you. It's always been about him. Now, for him, it's about you because he loves you. Amen? He'd rather die than live without you. And he's the only one that matters. Talk less about yourself and more about him. Let me say that again. Talk less about yourself and more about him. 
Watch what happens. Opportunities for the gospel will happen. Be worried less about what others think about you and more concerned about what, we, what they know about him. You'd be less concerned about what someone thinks about you and more concerned about what they know about him. Amen? So when you see a coworker, don't say, I wonder what she thinks about me. I wonder what he thinks about me. Say, I wonder what he knows about the Lord. I wonder what she knows about the Lord. That's where our focus should be. If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. Now you know what we're going through for only five verses. Amen. Then it says, lovers of money. No. Nobody in our country loves money. Nobody struggles with that. The Bible says the love of money is the root. It says in 1 Timothy 6, for the love of money is the root of all evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Self-love then evolves into desire for wealth because wealth brings pleasure and comfort and the power that it brings. Now, again, should we be the best workers in the building? What's the answer? Should we do our jobs as unto the Lord? Absolutely. And does God bless us to provide for us what we need? He does. But sometimes what happens is we are desiring more than what we need to the point that we don't have time for God. Amen? And when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thought on your mind? Is it, how much did my stocks go up this morning? Uh, how do I make money today? And again, I'm not saying we don't go out and work hard. We do that. But our first thought ought to be, yes, Lord. Our first thought ought to be, uh, Lord, this is the day you've made. Let me rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, thank you for another day to serve you. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. May I be used for your kingdom and your glory today. Get in your car and put praise music on instead of the stock market. Can I get an amen? And drive down the road with your focus on the Lord and do your job as unto the Lord and God will more than provide. And by the way, everybody in this room, whether you believe it or not, you're in the richest 5% of the people in the world because there's third world nations where they don't even know where their next meal's coming from. And I think there's very few people in here that's an issue. And if it is, you let us know and we will help you. Can I get an amen to that? And so you might think, well, that's for rich people. Well, you live in America. You're a rich person compared to the world. Not putting down those who are hardworking again. The old term word, old term was greedy. The most important thing in life is money, the pursuit of material wealth. You spend more time focused on attaining wealth than drawing near to Jesus. And again, it's not an excuse to be lazy. Well, I'm just pursuing God, so I'm just not going to work. I'm just going to lay around, do nothing, and pursue God. Uh, no, a man who does not work shall not eat. A man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. So those things need to happen, but we need to make sure we're doing everything with God being the priority and the passion in our life. Remember this, your job is a mission field, not a gold mine. Amen? When you go to work, it's a mission field. It's not a gold mine. It's not just a place you go to see how much money you can make. I mean, do your job as unto the Lord. I have a good job. God's blessed me and I'm thankful for it. But I recognize that when this time has come and passed, only what I've done for Christ will last. And the only thing I've taken to heaven with me is people. Amen. And so it's important that when we go to work, we recognize I'm entering my mission field. Holy Spirit just came into the building because he lives inside of you. The Bible says to seek ye first the kingdom of God. So our work is the source of God's provision, not your passion. And sadly, much of the church is feeding man's love of money. Uh, the whole prosperity doctrine is nauseating. Name it and claim it, grab it and blab it, believe it and achieve it. 
uh, put, plant your $1,000 seed in my garden, and then you'll get 10000 back. It's amazing how we're always planting in his garden. He's not planting in ours. Can I get an amen to that? And I remember watching this prosperity guy slipping through the channels and he was talking about he was at the airport and, he wa- and there was a line like three hours long and he walked to the front of the line and he says, I get to the front of the line because I got the money. This guy's a pastor. I got the money. And then he goes, I don't have to get in line anymore because I bought my own private jet for $17 million and people are cheering. That's nauseating. Can I get an amen to that? We're here to, to know him and to make him known. And not to bring glory and honor to ourselves. We're not seeking personal comfort, but we're seeking God's glory. It's tragic. Obeying and responding to God's calling upon my life or the pursuit of money. Choose one. Again, work hard. Do your job as unto the Lord. Absolutely. But is money the passion of your life or is Jesus the passion of your life? Choose one. Because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. May we love God, not money. And again, Mission Jim, Jim Elliott said, one of my dad's favorite quotes, I quote it often, a man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Giving up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. There's nothing greater you can do in this life. Now it follows right in from lovers of money. Now what it says next, boasters and proud. A boaster, uh, we used to call them braggarts and it was negative. Guy's a braggart. That means he, you know, he always tops your story. You've met that person, right? What did you do over the weekend? You know, well, I, you know, I went, I went to Hawaii for the week. Oh, I went to the moon. You know what I mean? It's always, it's always something better, right? They've always got. They're going to be topping you. They're just full of themselves, and you know, and 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 most of it is extremely exaggerated because they want the focus on themselves, and so the whole conversation gets turned back to them every time. Bring it back to me. You know, oh, you're talking about something relevant. I'm not even hearing you. I'm just thinking about how I'm going to brag as soon as you stop talking. And there's boasters and prideful, and it's all about me. And, and you can even do this in the church. Have you met people that will come up and tell you all they're doing for God? You know what I'm doing? For, I, I, they call me camel knees because I pray 15 hours a day. <laughs> I'm just spiritual that way. I can't help myself. I'm just so spiritual. And you get these people that are just being braggarts about serving the Lord. And I'm telling you, I know you are close to the Lord. You're not because you wouldn't be bragging about it if you were. Because if you spend your time in his presence, you'd only be pointing people to him, not to yourself. Amen? Deny yourself. Whenever I speak at conferences, they always want me to send a page about myself. I never do. I'm like, no. Just put my name there. That's enough. I shouldn't even do that. Just put an X there or whatever, right? And I've been to conferences where the guy gets introduced, and I know he wrote it because they don't know this about him. I was at one conference. It took four minutes for his introduction. He's the head of the society, and he created this thing, and he did that, and he did this, and he did that, and he did this, and he did that, and he did, you know. And I'm sitting with a bunch of other pastors. I'm like, wow, God's really lucky to have him on his team, huh? You know? And there's that boasting and being prideful. God doesn't need us. We need him. Middle letter and sin and pride is I. Amen. And they become prideful and become boasters. And Bible says, what do we have but that which we have received? Any talent, any gifting, any ability we may have been given has been given to us by God. And to him alone be all the glory. Amen. God blesses me in my sales job. I do well. But every time someone says something, I say, well, that's the grace of God. To him be all the glory. Amen. I know that if he takes his hand off me for five seconds, it's a disaster. 
And so it's an opportunity, if you do well at work, if you have any kind of special ability, to point people to the one who gave it to you. Amen. Right? You know, we're just the, we're the drill in the hand of the dentist. If the dentist lets the drill go off on its own, it's going to do a lot of damage and no good. Amen? But when the drill, we don't praise the drill when the dentist uses it. We, we thank the dentist. Amen? And that's what we are. We're just tools in the hands of the master. We have nothing to be prideful about. Then it says blasphemers. Blasphemers, evil speakers, pro profane, abusive, foul-mouthed, insulting. By the way, I have Christians argue with me about this. And this is one area I can tell you if you're arguing about it, you're wrong. The Bible says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is edifying for the hearer. And words don't spill out. I mean, they don't slip out. They pour out from your heart. The Bible says, out of the overflowing of man's heart, his mouth speaks. So what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what's in your heart. Amen? Amen. And here's the problem. Well, yeah, you know, I've been a Christian for five years, but, you know, I still filth and foul, foul and filth, filth and foul coming out of my mouth. Well, it's, you know, they're just words. It's not that big of a deal. Um, well, God says different. Amen. But the worst of all of them is taking God's name in vain. And we as Christians not only should not participate in it, but we should not fund it. And what I mean by that is the next time you're getting ready to go to a movie or go do something, there's things called screen it and plugged in online. And if they take God's name in vain one time, I'm not going. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. We're going to take God's money to go give it to people to listen to them curse his name. I'm out. Can I get an amen? amen. And so we don't participate in blasphemous speech and we shouldn't be funding it either. I got a new boss. This is probably five years ago. And he came into the office and I had known him previously. And he got up there and he was taking God's name in vain right out of the jump. And I'm like three minutes into the meeting, I got up and walked out. And he's like, Dave Johnson, where are you going? I said, I'm leaving until you start respecting the Lord. I'm out, bro. I'm out. Oh, that's right. You're a pastor. I go, don't worry about me. Worry about the one who is, hears you all the time. Can I get an amen? And guys, we don't want to blaspheme the name of the Lord. We don't want to misappropriate his name. We don't want to say, by the way, don't say God told me when you, when you, you thought it up yourself. Can I get an amen to that? Well, God told me, okay, uh, don't finish that. Just a second. Make sure that's true. People say that all the time. God told me, and they'll tell me about me. And I'm like, God did not tell you that. <laughs> that's blasphemy right there. When you say God said something and God didn't say it, be careful. Amen? Amen. Sign of the last days, blasphemy, speaking evil, our culture, our music, our movies, things we watch on TV, the job site, it's filled with it. Amen? And we've come to excuse it. Well, the movie was, you know, yeah, they took God's name in vain 11 times. And there's a couple nude scenes. But other than that, it was a great movie. Yeah, there was a little arsenic in the turkey. But other than that, it was pretty good. <laughs> Guys, a little poison ruins the whole meal. Can I get an amen? And we should not participate. And then Now, I'm glad the youth group's in here because the next one. Now, notice, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. How about that, youth group? Like Disobedient to parents. Bible says to honor your mother and father. Amen. The Bible says it's a it's a it comes with a promise. You will live long if you honor their parents. Look, your parents aren't perfect, but your parents love you, 
And you are, to, you are to obey your parents. And here's the problem, parents. If you let your kids live their lives without obeying you, they're not going to obey their boss. They're not going to obey the police. They're not going to obey anybody. They'll end up in Antifa burning down buildings. Amen? The reality is that if we don't teach them obedience at home, they're never going to learn it. And they need to be obedient to their parents. And the parents need to step up and make sure. Signs of the last days, children will rebel against their parents. Rebellious children is rampant today. It's nurtured in society. Uh, you know, parents, when the kids get in trouble at school, go after the teachers that are disciplining the parents. Are the children, amen? When I got in trouble at school, my dad would say, yeah, go ahead and give him a swat in front of the whole class. When he gets home, he's getting two more. Amen. And guess what? I didn't break. I got a big fatty place right here in the back, all made by God for, for belts and spoons sometimes. Amen. We need some discipline. Spare not the rod. Amen. You know what happened in the Old Testament when children rebelled? They stoned them to death. They threw rocks at them until they died. If they did that today, we couldn't drive through town. <laughs> There'd be rock towers everywhere, amen? You couldn't get from one side of town to the other. A teenager getting stoned had a whole different meeting in Jesus' day. Can I get an amen? The Bible says to honor your mother and father. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. When you disobey your parents, you're rebelling against God. When you disobey your parents, you are rebelling against God. Now, the Bible also says parents do not provoke your children to wrath. So when you discipline them, you need to discipline them in love. Can I get an amen to that? When I would discipline my kids, I'd look across the table, and you know I love you, right? And they'd say, yeah, I know you love me. Well, because I love you, go get the Board of Education. You know what I mean? <laughs> but the point I'm making is that we need to discipline our kids, but we should never do it in anger. You know, don't jerk them by the arm. Don't do that. Do it in love, but do it. Can I get an amen? But children, you need to obey your parents. There's a movie maybe some of you have probably seen called Facing the Giants. You guys ever seen that? One of my favorite movies ever. People think it's cheesy. I don't care. I love it. But there's this young man, and he's fighting with his dad through the first half of the movie, and he's just disobeying him, and he gets saved. And he goes to his dad's office. It just grips me when I think about it. He goes to his dad's office. He comes, and he says, Dad, I gave my life to Jesus today. And from now on, whatever you say goes. And his dad just sits down and just starts weeping. Guys, that's how Christian parents and children should interact. Can I get an amen to that? Parents love your children enough to discipline and children love God enough and your parents enough to obey them. Amen. Then it says, unthankful. Uh, we live in a time now that when we have so much, we're unthankful that we don't have more. And we've all fallen into that trap, haven't we? Ungrateful for what we've been given. Sad how rare it is to, be, to see a family. Uh, you know, when was the last time you saw a family in a restaurant praying over their meal? Should we be thankful for everything we get from God? Amen. Why do we pray over our meal? It's a reminder to thank God for everything. Amen. He's the one that provides for us. So rare. We have so much to be thankful for. How many guys are saved and you're going to heaven? Raise your hand. Okay. Can we thank God enough for that? Can we praise him enough for that? Okay, we should be thankful. Uh, God's provision, our spouses, our children. I'm thankful for every single one of you in this church and I praise God for it because without him, it wouldn't have happened. Can I get an amen to that? Love you guys, you're our family. I need to pick it up. Unholy, 
Lack of reverence for God. Do we see that today? People don't reverence God, they curse God. They take his name in vain. They don't honor his name. There's no fear of God. Be holy for I am holy. Singing the last thing the person wants to, to be known for today is being holy. They use it as a curse word. What are you, some kind of holy Joe? You know, because you want to live with, some, with, uh, with morals. You know, our, our society used to be moral. We believed wrong and right. Then it became immoral. We knew wrong from right, and most people chose to do wrong. And now we're amoral without morals. We're the only people that catch heat are the people that have morals. Amen? And so the exhortation here is that, you know, yeah, when someone, someone asked me that one time, are you a holy Joe? I said, actually, I'm a holy Dave by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Can I get an amen to that? We're holy because of him, not because of us. Then he says there in verse 3, unloving, unloving. The word storge there, a love held, that holds a family together. Some translations without natural affection. Father and mother, parents and children, children to parents, without natural affection, abnormal, abnormal relationships, where it's adultery and fornication and homosexuality and all these other relationships that are outside of God's will. And we put those above the relationships that God created for us to have. And that's when we are being unloving to those we're called to love. Unforgiving. The Bible tells us we're to forgive others as Christ forgave us. Can I get an amen to that? Divorce and adultery, uh, abortion, all those things are signs of the, of, the, of the last days. And it's a sign where we disregard everybody else but ourselves. The only way you kill your baby is if you don't love that baby. Can I get an amen to that? It is unloving. And we are called, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. For God so loved the world that he gave. Unloving, unforgiving. Again, that word unforgiving is irreconcilable. Some translations say truth, truth breakers. People who won't let you get, uh, get along with them will hold a grudge forever. Again, remember how much Jesus forgave you. Again, he's forgiven us everything. We need to forgive others. Then it says slanderers. Slanderers making false accusations against another. Uh, there are magazines in the grocery store making millions doing this, aren't there? Uh, politicians do this. God hates it. We're not to slander. Can I get an amen? We don't talk about other people. We don't tear people down. We don't do that. It's a sign of the time in the last days. Without self-control. The Bible says that through the Holy Spirit is self-control. And we're out of control in, in almost every aspect of life today. Sex, drugs, alcohol, food, work, whatever we do, we often do it out of control. We don't esteem discipline. We're raising a nation of undisciplined young people moved by what the flesh wants at the moment, not empowered by the Holy Spirit with the flesh in submission to God. So we're out of control because we just want what we want and we're going to go get it. We don't care who it hurts and we don't care what God says about it. And the Bible tells us that a lack of self-control is a picture of the end times. And it's certainly a picture of our society today. Then it says brutal. The word brutal there is savage or fierce. A reflection of a seared over conscience. In our society, it's a source of entertainment. You go to movies and human beings are being maimed and things like that. And we're being entertained by it. And the word brutal there means savage or fierce. Then it says despisers of God. Haters of what uh, is truly good have so confused right and wrong that there's no longer a clear line between good and evil. You cannot get elected in California if you oppose abortion or gay marriage. You're not getting elected. You know what? And both of those things are outside of God's will. Can I get an amen? amen. You know why? We call good evil and evil good. It's wrong. 
Uh, if you say you're a Christian, you're done. Unless you're in a certain states, certain places, you won't get elected. You'd be better off. If you're a Muslim, you got a chance. You're a Christian, not so much. It says in verse four, traitors, traitors. A traitor is a betrayer. Word is, uh, is meaningless today. It won't, it won't, someone who won't, you, you give, they give you their word and it means nothing. They won't honor their contract. They don't honor their word. By the way, if you sign a contract as a Christian, even if it was a bad idea and a bad deal on your part, you follow through on that. Can I get an amen to that? Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Christians, bankruptcy for us should be the absolute last resort. So there are times when there's no other choice, but we should be the people that pay our bills and honor them. I was living in Lancaster when all the, all the defense went down, and then every third house in my neighborhood was empty, and our, my house went 50% of the value, and people were just walking away from their houses and giving the keys back to the bank and then going buying another house because they were cheaper. And my next-door neighbor says, why aren't you doing this? I said, I signed it. I signed a mortgage. I need to be a man of my word. You know what? God will bless that when we're men and women of our word. Can I get an amen to that? We need to be faithful to it. Then it says, headstrong uh, means reckless, won't tolerate anyone getting in their way. Haughty, which means filled with sense of self-importance, should be broken and desperate instead of walking around, letting everybody know how amazing they are. Then it says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Physical pleasure more important than following God. We're a society that is addicted to pleasure and entertainment, willing to compromise the truth, to accept a little blasphemy in their entertainment. It's amazing how quickly and how much we are willing to compromise. As Christians, I'll tell you another place where there's compromise, courtship and dating. Can I get an amen? You should not be courting anybody who doesn't love God more than they love you. Amen? And you need to wait until you're married to be physically intimate. And you need to honor God in that relationship. And if you're dating a guy who's pressuring you to do contrary to that, Joshua and I would love to have a conversation with him. <laughs> Can I get an amen? It's nauseating. But lovers of pleasure. We don't want to choose between pleasure and... We don't have to choose between pleasure and serving God. You know who has the most pleasure of anyone? People walking with the Lord. Can I get an amen? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And what's the second word? Joy. Joy comes from relationship with God. Then it says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such turn away. Today we live in a time when people will have a form of godliness, but will not walk in the power of God. There'll be people that, are, that look at church as a religious country club. They're doing church, but denying the power of the Christian life. They are content to have an outward religion without an inward relationship, thus bringing these very things into the church. What happens is we think, well, you know, as long as I'm living my life, I'll give God an hour a week just to make sure I have the get out of hell free card. The last, verse, the last part of the verse says, without the power. The word power there is dunamis. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And the word also is where we get the word dynamic. And in theos is where we get the word enthusiasm. It means filled with God. Guys, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there, there's enthusiasm, there's joy, and there's power to live a life that's honoring to God. Can I get an amen to that? So that was a lot, amen? A lot of stuff. From such people turn away. If they reject God, pray for them. Minister to them, but do not fellowship with them. Amen? Because you do become like the people you hang out with. So we're going to go now to a time of communion. And so we're living in a time when people are lovers of themselves, boastful, prideful. 
pursuers of money. When we take communion, one of the things that's important is this is a time that we remember the cross. We look back to the cross, but we also look within. And we need to examine our own hearts before the Lord. Amen? And the Bible says, if you've done something to your brother, you know, before you give an, go and make it right. And so I want to, I want to, we're going to take a few, a little bit of time that when you get the elements and before you get them, I want you to spend some time with the Lord to think, look back to the cross and thank God for what he's done. We look forward to heaven because we will take this with him in heaven, but we need to take some time to say, okay, Lord, as I went through that list, am I on that list? Are there, are there things where I'm struggling? We need to make this a time of confession. Can I get an Amen to come humbly before the Lord and say, Lord, you know what? I struggle with boasting. I struggle with being a lover of money. I struggle with putting other things in front of you. Oh Lord, help me. Lord, we pray now as we go this time of communion, Lord, that you would be glorified, that we would do this in remembrance of you, remembering the greatest act of love on the cross of Calvary, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Pray for anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Your word tells us if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Communion is only for believers. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you can do that right now. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. If you've never given your life to the Lord and you want to do that right now, want to be able to take communion and do it wordily, just raise your hand where you are and I'll pray with you. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? So Lord, we pray for everyone here as we take this time of communion. May we do this again with reverence, remembering the cross of Calvary. Also take it with joy, Lord, knowing that because of what you did on the cross, we've been redeemed, we're going to heaven. It's an act of worship. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. When you get the...